Amen. Thank you. Let's turn together to Exodus chapter 18, continuing our study in the book of Exodus, looking at chapter 18 this evening, considering this interesting account of Moses and his interaction with his father-in-law, Jethro. Exodus chapter 18. Listen to God's word. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro's, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, "'Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh.'" And who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and offered sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But... Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands... You will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. 
He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they could decide themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Father, we ask for your help as we consider your word. We pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears and open our minds and help us to apply it to our lives. We pray through Jesus Christ. Amen. Last year, Patty and I attended a pastor's and wives retreat where a number of couples there were on the verge of burnout, you would say. One young couple especially was in great need a young pastor and wife from a small church out west, <clears throat> and they had not had a Sunday off or a vacation for over two years. And not only that, but a number of months before the retreat, they had experienced the painful loss of a baby boy, their firstborn ch- child who died at about two months old. And even then, they didn't take off any time. He preached the next Sunday and kept doing that. And by the time they came to the retreat, it was obviously that, obvious that they needed to take a more extended break. And later on, we learned that not long after the retreat and after getting wise advice, that's what they did. Probably all of you can think of Christians, leaders, Christian leaders, political leaders, uh, any kind of a leader who's whose lives are under severe pressure and who end up paying the price somehow, either with physical breakdown of some kind or emotional exhaustion or even, sadly, moral failure. Exodus 18 speaks to this issue. There are a number of other themes evident in this chapter, and we could take some time to look at them. For example, one that we're not going to look at, but we could, is that we see Jethro, this Midian priest, as a foreshadowing of the gospel going out to the Gentiles. We know that the Exodus and that the events surrounding the Exodus were intended by God, that his name would be great among the nations. Well, the Egyptians didn't give praise to God. The, uh, we saw in chapter 17 that uh, The um, Amalekites did not give praise to God. They fought against the people of Israel. But we see from Jethro, this Midian priest, uh, coming and meeting with Moses, his son-in-law, and hearing from Moses of of the good things the Lord had done for Israel. Of course, he had already heard about it. We don't know how. But here he hears again from Moses' lips the good things Verse 9, that the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. And this testimony results in praise to God. Praise being lifted up to Jehovah, the Lord. But Jethro also gives Moses some advice. It's interesting how advice can come from the oddest places. And we shouldn't be surprised at people giving us advice and being sensitive to maybe the fact that this advice is from the Lord. In fact, Jethro later on says about his advice that uh, if you do this and God so commands, and we're not led to believe it wasn't any otherwise, 
this advice was from God with which Jethro brought. And you think, here was Moses, this man of God. Why didn't God just tell Moses? Why did he use his father-in-law? Well, it's here that we want to learn something about the pitfalls of leadership and how to avoid them. We want to look at some dangers involved, first of all, and then we want to look at wisdom in preventing leadership burnout and failure. First of all, then, some dangers involved in leadership. And before you tune out to this because you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me, or you may think that, I I want you to understand that this does not by any means apply only to pastors or other leaders in the church. It also applies to anyone who is in any kind of leadership capacity, and that probably could be just about everyone here, parents, teachers, employers, leaders in the workplace in some way, leaders in government or in the public arena. Almost everyone can see ways in which these things apply to their lives, and I hope each of you will see that. The first danger We want to see two, and the first one is isolation. Excuse me. In verse 14, Jethro sees all that Moses is doing, and he says, What is this that you are doing? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand, stand around you from morning till evening? You get this picture of Moses acting as a judge, and God had called him to do this, to carry out this function. But you, you see him being alone in doing this, and everybody waiting around uh, long government lines, you know, to get to the front and finally have your case heard. This sense of being alone, this isolation. One of the frequent problems of leadership is that a leader is often more or less alone. Alone in terms of accountability, alone in terms of support, often alone in terms of close friendship. And many times this isolation is experienced in terms of a burden. Moses was called by God to teach, we read, and to judge in this way. But that very calling served to isolate himself. It kind of uh, set him apart from everyone else. And that can often be the case even in areas of common leadership, such as parenting. And you think especially about single parents, how that would be true. You may be with your children all the time as a single parent, but there's this sense of loneliness. There is no one to share this burden with you. There is a sense in which you are alone in this calling that you've been given. One application of this danger of isolation is the temptation to live a double life. This temptation for there to be an increasing gap between your public persona, your public face, and the private reality of who you are. And of course, all of that experience uh, that and uh, wrestle with that in our lives. But the more isolated a leader becomes, the greater the danger of this. And we see this especially with with famous spiritual personalities who've fallen in a disastrous way. And they were very isolated and alone up at the top of their um, empire, we might say. And it all comes crashing down because there was a, a great duality between the reality of who they're who they were publicly versus 
privately. Of course, maybe parents know the fact that it's very difficult to hide from uh, exposing to your children who you really are. You may be able to put on a good public face for everyone else, but your children will tend to see who you really are, and you can't hide that from everyone. All of us have seen or heard about cases of leaders who have suddenly ended up in serious moral failure, and what a sad thing that is. I would just, as an aside here, say that there was a time as a young man, as a young pastor, when I saw those kinds of things, and I honestly say they were just a total enigma to me. I did not understand how those kind of failures could come. I I just didn't have a clue. Uh, But, of course, now after many years of experience, I know that there are real dangers and there are real pitfalls. And one of them is to fall into this duality, so to speak, to maintain this public image because of isolation and because there's this sense of being alone and to allow one's private walk with God to fall into decay. And what a serious thing that is. And because of the isolation, often, sadly, there is no one in a leader's life who is positioned to speak to that issue and to even prevent that issue with godly exhortation and encouragement. So there's this danger of isolation The second danger that I'd like us to see, and maybe the more obvious one here, is the danger of overwork. This comes out in Jethro's advice again in verse 17 and 18. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who have come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Jethro says, what you're doing is not good. Here was Moses. Just think. They had been miraculously delivered from Egypt through the series of plagues. They'd been brought through the Red Sea. Thanks be to God. But Jethro had a word from God. It was not good the way Moses was wearing himself out. And people were being worn out as well. I guess it's like, you know, standing at the... Bureau of Motor Vehicles and waiting in line all day. How, how would that would wear me out? Now, there is nothing wrong with hard work. In fact, there are ways in which we must assert that the value of hard work in a culture nowadays that more and more idolizes indulgence and laziness is, is a value that needs to be reasserted in our time. Hard work is good. There's nothing wrong with that. And one of the growing trends in our society is procrastination and wasting time. And there are all these new ways to procrastinate and play Minesweeper on your computer at work and and all these things, surf on the Internet. So we want to assert the value of working hard. We must be reminded of the rhythm God gave us in creation. Six days you shall work. And the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. And yes, we want to emphasize the seventh day. Now the first day is a day of rest. But often we need to emphasize the other part of that equation. And that is, what about working hard the other six days? But that being said, many leaders struggle 
with overwork. And many times, we bring it on ourselves. You can overwork because you don't see any alternative. Someone's got to get the job done. Leaders often just know the job needs to get done, so they're going to do it. Or you can overwork because of worry or a perfectionism that doesn't trust anyone else to do it. Uh, Maybe somebody else would do the job, but you're not sure they're going to do it as well as you, so you don't give them the opportunity to do that. Maybe they won't do it as well, but you have to trust that to the Lord and not be a perfectionist in that way. Or you you can overwork as a substitute for God himself that begins to turn work into an idolatry, a functional idolatry where work is taking the place of God in your life. Pastors can do that. They can put ministry and service and helping others, even preaching the Word of God, and not be really meeting with God. They're carrying out all the duties of their office, but in a sense, they aren't meeting with God in it. And what a danger that that is. Well, there are many possible reasons for all of us to do this. In our technological world, we now learn that people are working more and more no matter where they are. You read the articles about this with people working on vacation with the cell phone and the internet and email. A greater percentage are doing that or they're working at home and in the evening and in the middle of the night. You might get an email from someone and you see, oh, it was sent at 2 a.m. Well, they were you know, still working on the computer at that time of night. Another twist in our society that contributes to this sense of overwork is that leisure time has increased more and more over the years, but leisure doesn't necessarily mean rest. So you can have lots of leisure time, but you're filling it with all of these other things. We have greater amounts of it, but we're more stressed out than we ever were, and we're actually getting less and less sleep and true rest. And there's even a higher incidence in our society of physical exhaustion and mental and emotional strain. And the reason is our lives are so much more complex. There are so much things to take our time. And our lives are less and less simple. So we have TV and Internet and all these things that we own and appliances and cars and boats, and then we have to maintain all those things and store them, and our houses are bigger and our yards are bigger, and we have to take care of all that. And I'm not saying that any one of those things is necessarily wrong. I'm just saying this is the atmosphere in which you and I live. And that, you see, does not equate into more rest. So you can be overworked from your leisure and not just your work. So I hope you see that this applies to all of us. Well, let's think about wisdom in preventing leadership burnout. What does our text tell us about that? A couple of points about this. What is the wisdom that we need to learn in preventing leadership burnout? One is listen to wise counsel. Here, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes. And we're not sure... Uh, how all this happened, when Moses sent his wife and sons away, was it while he was in Egypt, was it after they crossed the Red Sea, we're not told that, but apparently he thought it wise to send them away at some point, and now Jethro's bringing them back to him, and Moses not only respectfully listened, but he took the advice, 
You know, again, leadership, excuse me, advice can come from places that you least expect it. We sometimes have someone brand new to our church or just visiting to our church and someone who hasn't been around here at all can walk in and see something that needs to be changed that those of us who have been here for years don't see. And sometimes they're, they're, they bring that fresh perspective in and, they, and we say, yeah, that's obvious. Why didn't I see that? We need to listen to wise counsel. And listening to counsel is not always easy, is it? Is it? And among leaders especially, leaders usually have strong views on things. They usually know what needs to be done and how to do it. But a good leader knows how to learn from others. It's interesting in the life of George Washington. Here was a good general. Historians agree that at the beginning he was a good general, but they wouldn't say at the beginning that he was great. He had to learn in order to become the great general that he became. But in 1776, George Washington and the Continental Army experienced some terrible reversals in New York and Long Island and then the debacle at Fort Washington in in New York City. A terrible disaster. And George Washington made some grave errors of judgments and some mistakes about that. But he was spared, we know. And he learned from his mistakes. And one of the characteristics of Washington's leadership style is that he learned from his officers underneath him. He would gather them around, and he would, he would get their advice, and he would often take their advice. He, 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 he wasn't arrogant in the sense thinking that he knew everything about what there was to do. He learned to listen, and that's what made him a great general. Husbands, maybe you need to sit down with your wife and really listen to what she has to say. Maybe you've been hearing it for years, but you haven't listened. You need to say, well, what what do you really think about this? Parents, what an eye-opening experience it is for parents maybe to say, we're going to have a family meeting tonight, and children, we want your views on how you think things are going in our household. Maybe they haven't felt that you wanted to hear this, and maybe they'll give you some good advice. Whatever the source of the advice might be, don't be afraid to listen to it. Of course, it may not all be right. It won't all be right, but be open to it. Secondly, work to keep balance in your life. Work to keep balance in your life. You think about this state of affairs Moses was in, and you just step back and think, how did Moses get into this? Well, it just happened. He was called by God to judge and to teach God's decrees and laws we read here. And that calling is reaffirmed by Jethro, by the way. Moses was seeking to do God's will. But I think what happened in Moses' life is reflective of part of the nature of this fallen life, of life in this present world. Our lives easily get out of balance. Things do not remain balanced. And there are so many different ways we can go to excess. I'm sure Moses just started to judge as he was called by God, and soon the lines were very long. The people needed help. So we can swing from overwork on one extreme to laziness on the other extreme. We might swing from no exercise at all, and people in our society very easily become, on the other extreme, obsessed with exercise, and it becomes a god. Or we can... can Swing from overeating to uh, 
not eating enough. Uh, you know, there are eating disorders, or uh, you could go through all these things. We can be isolated from individuals, or we can be too enmeshed with individuals and too busy with relationships. There are all kinds of extremes. I was reading a newspaper article a week or two ago. Maybe some of you read about young people spending, some people spending eight hours text messaging with their cell phones. Eight hours a day. You know, maybe some of you are doing that. I hope not, but that is an excess. And I, I read this article about soft addictions. Uh, this was talking about things like procrastination, overeating, too much TV, shopping on the internet all the time, staying up too late. They went through 10 or 12 of these things. Soft addictions is the word that they used because they're not things like alcohol and drugs. They actually have a toxic effect on your body, but they're soft addictions in that they're kind of they're acceptable things, and you can slip into them and find yourself doing them much too much in and of themselves. They may not be wrong. But the whole issue of the article was our lives are easily out of balance. Moses was seeking to follow God, but his, his life needed to be brought back into balance. He needed to work at this. And one important area of balance in all of our lives is this area of work and rest. Moses needed balance here. And maybe you need to ask yourself, how do I need to work at this? Especially in light of of the uh, nature of life in this present world now with leisure and technology and all these things, how, how do I need to work at keeping balance? It doesn't naturally come to all of us because of the fallenness and because of the sinfulness of our hearts. And maybe you need to ask someone who really knows you, what do you think? Where, does, where do I need to restore balance in my life? Well, Work hard to restore balance to your life. Focus, number three, focus on the essence of your calling as a leader. Your calling by God. And this is given to Moses in verses 19 and 20. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. And then he goes on to say, but delegate. Jethro was bringing into focus Moses' primary calling to God. He was to be the people's representative before God and God to them, bringing them before the Lord and teaching them of the things of God. And he needed needed to learn to delegate the kinds of things that would push out of his life the essence And you need to ask yourself, what is the essence of my calling in the leadership role that God has placed me in? Take the example of parents here. What is the essence of a parent's leadership role in his home? And we would say, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Well, I hope that you know that there are many many things in our lives and our society that tempt parents to neglect and to let fall by the wayside the essence of their calling as parents. Because in order to teach and train your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you have to be with them. Deuteronomy 6 talks about when you walk along the way, when you sit down at the home. You know, if you're not being with your children... 
and having time with them to do the training and instruction. And if you're so focused on getting a bigger house and maintaining a bigger yard and getting more stuff and all those temptations that will assail you over and over again in our society, it's very easy to lose your focus on the essence of God's calling as a parent. And in 10 or 15 years, you're going to look back and say, wow, it slipped away. Where did it go? What did I do wrong? What is the essence of your calling before God? Leaders in the church, look at Acts 6. The pastors, the elders of, in the book of Acts knew that they had to give themselves to the ministry of the Word of God and to prayer. And they had to delegate other responsibilities that were good things. And I will vouch for this from personal testimony. It's not an easy thing to do. You have to keep coming back to the essence of, the, of, the, of your calling by God. And no matter what your leadership role might be, you have to ask yourself, what is the core of my role, of my job, of what God has called me to? What am I best at doing? What is not just urgent, but what is important? You know, there's that little booklet, Tyranny of the, or, Tyranny of the Urgent, that says the urgent things all, uh, often push out the the important things, and we need to to fight against that. And so, focus on the essence of your calling before God. And then finally, make your personal walk with God a priority. Again, verse 19 tells us how Moses was to be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. There was the danger that Moses was going to get so overworked and worn out that he was going to really fail in his primary calling of what God had called him to be. And really, the key to all of these above recommendations and guidelines for us is this last one, to to make your personal walk with the Lord a priority. And I believe that's the reason Moses received Jethro's advice. It's interesting because Numbers 12 Verse 3 gives it that famous description. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. How would you like to have that written about you? I'd like to have that, you know. Oh, oh there's pride, you know. How, how was it that Moses received this advice? Where does humility come from? You know, I want to be humble so people can, can notice that. Well, obviously, you can't will yourself to be humble, And that's the point I'm trying to make here. True humility comes only from being in the presence of God. That's why Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth, because Moses was a man who dwelt in the presence of God. He knew God. He walked with God. God spoke to him unlike how he spoke to any other man. And the essential nature of faith in Jesus Christ is this humility before God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's at the heart of a faith response to the good news. This humility, this brokenness, this contrite spirit before God. How do you and I find the ability to listen to advice and not respond defensively? Don't we all know how easy it is? Somebody brings advice and right away we're saying, but, you know, oh, you aren't seeing it right. Uh, You know, How dare you? 
Instead of a defensive response, how do we say, is that what you really think? I really need to understand that. How do we get that kind of humility? It comes from living in relationship to the true God. How do you get the wisdom to know what the balance needs to look like in your life? I've just said, we need balance. That's so hard, isn't it? To say, well, where is the balance? We need to live in this world and not be of the world. How much stuff should I buy? How much shouldn't I get? How big a house should I get? I don't know. You have to work that out with God. He gives you his word, but where do we get the wisdom? It's from the relationship we have with God as we seek him in prayer and listen to him as he speaks to us in his word. How do you sort through the issues of what your focus really needs to be, what your calling is? Only by walking with God in prayer. Moses and you and I need to make a priority of our private time with God, of our walk with God. I think about the example of Paul. You don't need to turn here, but in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is fighting against these false apostles at Corinth and he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? And he talks about the fact that, that he really didn't need to commend himself. And he says in verse 4 then, such confident as this is ours through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. You, just read, you could read through the whole book of 2 Corinthians and almost put your finger down anywhere, and, and what comes out there is a, a God-centered humility and a recognition that our competency, our sufficiency, our strength, our power, all that we need, all that we have and are, it all comes from God so that no flesh, no man can glory before him. This is not an easy lesson to learn to have this kind of balance, to maintain a walk with God in an ungodly world. I got sad news the other week from a pastor in our presbytery. Word came back that he had fallen into scandalous sin. He was in another presbytery in another state. A man, a godly man who knew Christ and walked with him. And, And I don't know what went into this. I don't know what the ingredients were that combined to bring about this leadership failure. It's always a very sad thing. It's become less of a shocking thing to me over the years, but it should always cause us to humble ourselves before God and to realize that we stand by the grace of God alone. This morning, Dr. Rogers preached to us about Jesus' triumphal entry and how Jesus Christ The Son of God came in humility. The ultimate Moses. Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the prophet like unto Moses who was to come. And he came to bring life everlasting. I wonder, have you ever humbled yourself before him and trusted him and the work that he did on the cross? I hope that you have. And if not, I hope that tonight you trust in him. And I urge you, if you are trusting him, to stand in him this week, to humble yourselves before him, to cry out, to say, Lord, my competency is from you. Help me. 
with the issues that I face in my life this week. I cannot sort through this on my own. I cannot keep the balance myself. It's not merely an act of my will and that I can keep all the balls in the air and juggle them all just right. No, I need to give this all to you. And I need to do it again and again and again. Because Jesus Christ is the one who makes us stand. Thanks be to God that it is so. Let us pray. Father, we do humble ourselves before you with our need. We thank you that you have more than graciously provided for us. Thank you for the riches of your mercy revealed in Jesus Christ. Thank you that the greater Moses has come in history and has made a way wide open to the throne of grace that we might walk through, that we might come, we who are weary and heavy laden, with the assurance that you give us rest. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.